there were a number of trust me moments along the way, and I'm happy to say that since then we've been able to meet and exceed all the expectations that have been set, and so I think that definitely gives us a good leg up for the future. Welcome to episode 233 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. We've followed Bozeman, Montana's fiber optic network initiative for the past few years now as it developed from vision to reality. The open access network is already serving local government facilities and public schools, and businesses are also being connected. In this interview, Christopher talks with the city's economic development director, Britt Fontenot, and Anthony Kokenauer, president of Bozeman Fiber, the nonprofit entity created to manage and operate the network. Christopher, Britt, and Anthony share an update on what has been happening with the network since our last interview. That was during episode 142, back in March of 2015. The guys talk about the nonprofit open access model and the city's current role. They also discuss how the community obtained funding for the project and what it was like rallying local banks to contribute to the project. Now here's Chris with Britt Fontenot, the city's economic development director, and Anthony Kokenauer, president of Bozeman Fiber. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. And today I'm speaking with two folks from Bozeman, Montana, catching up on a network that we previously discussed. Uh, First of all, we have Britt Fontenot, who is the City of Bozeman Economic Development Director. Welcome back to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's a pleasure. Thanks a lot. And we are also welcoming back Anthony Kokenauer, the President of Hoplite Industries and now the President of Bozeman Fiber. Welcome back. Thanks for having us today, Chris. So I definitely think people will have to listen to the previous show to get all of the flavors about what Bozeman's like for people who might not be familiar and and exactly where this project was, the origin of it. Um, But for a a brief reminder, what is Bozeman Fiber? Bozeman Fiber is uh, an open access, uh, not-for-profit wholesale fiber network based here in Bozeman. Uh, Total network size is about 24 and a half uh, total route miles. And uh, I believe uh, today we've passed uh, just under 3,000 structures uh, with heavy emphasis on uh, commercial services. And Britt, I'm curious if you can just remind us, I think, you know, this is a show we mostly talk about municipal networks. Bozeman Fiber is not owned or operated by the city of Bozeman. How does it work? The city of Bozeman neither owns nor operates the, the Bozeman Fiber Network. It's a, it's a private, Bozeman Fiber is a private organization, raised private capital to, in order to, to construct uh, and operate the network. The city of Bozeman's role in, in this construction, in this model, in this open access model, has been to hopefully provide some, uh, some leadership from our elected officials in the value of having an open access network in our community that provides uh, several opportunities. One, to lower costs for the end user for fiber services. Two, to p- facilitate competition in that market. Uh, and three, to expand the, the reach and expand the opportunities for our local businesses as an economic development driver in a, in a community like Bozeman, the fastest growing community in the state of Montana with a very important technology and growing, I would add, technology sector uh, who can utilize and leverage this, um, this, new, this new infrastructure. And Anthony, I want to come back to you to talk a little bit about that nonprofit model. Um, can you just tell us, like, you know, the question I always have is, is what if um, if a decision was made to sell it off, for instance, how would that be made? Who would make that decision? So uh, a lot of thought and effort went into structuring uh, the leadership, the governance of Bozeman Fiber. And I think unlike a lot of other not-for-profits, they kind of go for that 501c3 status for various reasons. 
501c4 status that Bozeman Fiber uh, obtained from the get-go. Um, we're actually a non-member-based, not-for-profit, and so the board is truly there for governance. There's no, there's no ownership. There's no individual stake uh, that takes place there, and so um, the leadership is actually spread across a combination of um, K-12 and higher education, healthcare, economic development. Um, technical interest from the, uh, the private sector, and then, uh, we do uh, have at least, uh, always maintain room for at least one at-large, um, community at-large uh, board seat. So that way it's not, it's not all tech, it's not all education, healthcare, or economic development, that, uh, you know, we can uh, represent a much broader set of interests and needs across the community. So when the board makes decisions, are they unanimous decisions? Do they have a vote? I'm, I'm always just curious. And, and ultimately, is it is it the board that makes all these decisions? I, mean, I just want to press in because I think you know, usually we're sure. talking about networks in which the city council is the ultimate authority. But here it's a board of folks that are representing community anchors and businesses and things like that. So certainly it is run like um, uh, any other corporate board. Our governance board that you would see, um, you know, there are structured meetings. Uh, there's a great deal of background work uh, that goes into uh, prepping for these meetings, um, you know, and there's open discussion, there's debate, um, you know, happily so. Um, there are, there's a, a great deal of alignment and agreement. And I think, you know, the number of things that the board would openly disagree on, we could probably count on one hand over the last two years. Now, one of the things that um, we were just discussing in the pre-call was whether or not anyone's trying to copy you. And, and Britt, I'd like to come back to you to ask if you could um, just give me a sense of um, when you said the city was involved in, in, in this as a certainly in a convening role, what are some of the unique value adds that the local government contributed to make sure that Bozeman Fiber would be successful? Well, I think they provided the vision uh, and the leadership in order to, to raise this issue to a level where community uh, anchor institutions saw the value in becoming a part of the network. Because let's face it, those anchor institutions, which in our case are the city of Bozeman, the county, uh, Gallatin County, and our school district, were taking a risk with us, uh, with Bozeman Fiber at the time. I shouldn't say us, but with Bozeman Fiber, because this hadn't been done in this manner in the past. And so um, they saw... The city commission was instrumental in approving the, the, the plan, the pro forma that the, uh, that the Bozeman Fiber Organization eventually used to put the financing together for the network build, and of course signing on, signing into, into long-term contracts, 10-year contracts with Bozeman Fiber to provide dark fiber. And I want to distinguish between the dark fiber anchor tenants, city, county schools, with the lit fiber network where we have service providers on the network who are providing services to our, uh, at the moment, to mostly to our businesses in our primary commercial corridors and in our downtown and another area called our cannery district and then uh, in the future our uh, midtown district. So, uh, so the city has added, has provided that leadership. They were, they were uh, a part of the group that selected or at least uh, uh, were, were requesting certain board members be present to, to represent these various interest groups across the community and, uh, and have been um, very much a partner in, the, in the getting the organization up and running. But, um, but since then, the city has taken a bit of a backseat role. Since Bozeman Fiber has, has, has shown that it can construct a network, has shown that it can deliver services with an eye towards how do we, as a city, invest in infrastructure that that continues to facilitate the outgrowth of a, of a fiber network, not just for the benefit of Bozeman Fiber, but for, uh, for the benefit of the business community who can, who can potentially use a, a number of services uh, with 
proper infrastructure in order to get their needs met via fiber optic networks. Now, I want to turn to the open access nature of the network. And so I think, Anthony, it makes sense to, to come back to you and um, talk about this. How many ISPs do you have uh, active on the network already? Uh, currently, there are five uh, ISP partners that uh, we have signed up. And uh, if memory serves with uh, the latest uh, lineup, we have uh, four more um, under negotiation at various stages of negotiation. Um, our original goal, our minimum, was in the four to six range. You know, our stretch goal overall in terms of ISP partner to, uh, partners to bring diversity and competition was in the 10 to 12 range. And so I'm pretty confident the next 60 to 90 days will uh, be in that uh, 10 to 12 ISP partner range. Fortunately, I think it's been a draw of the open access piece and uh, the fact that, uh, you know, Bozeman Fiber is truly neutral across the board that has been, uh, you know, one of the selling points for the, the new partners that are new to the, the direct fiber services space. And can you give me a sense of how many of the providers that are operating on your network or may soon um, finalize the agreement, uh, how many of those are sort of local to the region versus larger, more, you know, maybe based in the coastal areas, lar- co- companies that are not from Montana or the region? Uh, right now, I think we, we have one that's decidedly out of Montana that has actually uh, made their first direct foray into Montana because of those fiber, and so that's exciting. Um, right now, where um, the majority of the partners are in the small to medium um, size um, space and are also within the region. So if we include Wyoming, you know, within the region, that, 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 that particular uh, partner is included as well. Um, some of the negotiations, as you would probably uh, guess, with uh, two or three of the uh, larger providers that you could probably name, um, you know, they're, they're large organizations. Negotiations take time. Changing thinking and showing uh, the value that we bring to even them uh, takes time as well. But so far, so good. Um, things are, are remain quite positive and, uh, you know, in terms of overall perception of Bozeman Fiber's mission and how we've executed against that um, is, is quite favorable. Terrific. You mentioned that you were passing thousands of structures. Um, can you give us a sense of the breakdown of commercial versus um, maybe like schools versus uh, any residential areas that you might be touching? Uh, you know, kind of at a high level, I would put it at about 70% uh, commercial and about 30% residential. Um, you know, that varies a bit based on how far off uh, the backbone route you go. Uh, you know, in terms of kind of heat mapping that out, or, you know, if you measure that at about 100 feet, um, it's probably a much higher percentage of commercial. If you go up to about 500 or 1,000 feet, you probably have much more of a, an even blend between commercial and residential. And you've been operating for a few months, so I'm always nervous about asking outright for take rates. If you wanted to share it, that's fine. But I'm, I think the key question is just whether or not you're hitting targets for customers as well as for service providers. I would say so, and certainly it's early. Uh, you know, having less than uh, 60 days of full uh, run rate on commercial operations, you know, it's tough to pull out hard stats there. You know, in terms of uh, net interest, you know, if you look at uh, the take rate from a, a traditional sales point of view, the interest in the pipeline are certainly there to both meet and exceed our sales goals, and I think it's actually quite encouraging for the early ISP partners as well. And so, you know, again, kind of putting on that, uh, taking a for-profit look at what is the you know what does the wholesale sales side look like? Pretty favorable and, and positive, I'd say. 
So, Britt, I want to come back to you and talk a little bit about the potential expansion. You know, um, I'm always interested in what it takes to make something go citywide. And I know that there may be many steps between here and there. But um, from the city's perspective, what sorts of things can you do to make it uh, easier for Bozeman Fiber to expand? Well, one of the things we can do is put a policy in place that that is uh, forward thinking in regards to um, to where, where this network can grow. And, and by virtue of the architecture of the of the original Bozeman Fiber Network, we were out to all the schools scattered around the community, and so that was that was by design because those those areas are often surrounded by uh, by either the existing or future uh, subdivisions, which include potential for uh, fiber to the home opportunities. Although the original phase one plan is really just about the businesses and economic development, and that's where we're focusing our, our efforts. That's where Bozeman Fiber is focusing its efforts right now. But the city is working on a policy that includes several layers. One of them is a is a dig once policy. How can we ensure that we are um, we're doing what we can to preserve our infrastructure, i.e., not taking streets up every time a provider may want to go into the get a get a, a conduit in the ground, but having the city invest in some uh, some multi duct conduit in appropriate areas so that those assets can be preserved, while at the same time facilitating. Not only Bozeman Fiber, but other uh, service providers uh, into that same into that same ground or into that same duct. Uh, so that's one way. And then, of course, the other way that I think is important is to take a look at our own capital improvement plan at the city. Where are our roads being uh, being considered for reconstruction? What sidewalks are we looking at replacing or uh, or improving? Uh, what trails can we look at that go in directions and in areas that we can we can use those construction times to to put conduit in the ground that that may not necessarily Necessarily connect on day one, but look to connect to the backbone of Bozeman Fiber at some point in the future, facilitating even more um, use of the network by by more and more customers. And so, it's really just trying to take a broad uh, look, uh, a long view, of what we're trying to accomplish by by providing connectivity initially in the business districts, and I mentioned the downtown and the midtown, and where we leveraged our tax increment finance districts to deploy multi-duct conduit for the purposes I just described that's now being leased by Bozeman Fiber and, and potentially other tenants of the, of the, of the conduit um, to, again, to facilitate the network, uh, the construction of the network, but also future connectivity uh, in, other, in other locations. And, you know, another thing I would tack on that, you know, I think we've lost sight of um, even, you know, within the Bozeman Fiber Board because it's been you know, such a busy couple of years is one of the, the milestones that we achieved as a community led by this effort, um, you know, both private sector effort, um, what are now many of the Bozeman Fiber supporters, and the city of Bozeman is a one-dig policy uh, that, uh, you know, was happily embraced and passed unanimously uh, by the city council that really makes it such that if there's a, a public works project going on, um, there's now uh, mandated coordination and collaboration that goes on between public and private sector to basically say, hey, we're going to have a street open, we're going to have a trench open. If you have any desire to be here, come on down. Uh, taxpayers are already, um, you know, already paid essentially in one form or another to open up trench for public works project. Um, you know, if it's if there's a um, direct easement involvement um, or proximity to easement, um, you know, that takes a great deal of the cost out of uh, private sector endeavors. Uh, for anything, anything you would need to put in the ground that uh, uh, you know that that would uh, be permittable, um, you know, is, is now just part and parcel for how we operate as a community. And, I, and as we look around the nation, 
one dig is not unique by any stretch of the imagination, but it's certainly not as common as, as we would like. And I'm happy to see that, you know, that's one of the positive outcomes that we've had through this, what's almost now a four-year effort. That's that's good to hear that that's um, happening. I think one of the reasons you don't see it as often is that people talk about being in favor of it, but then when you're actually trying to implement it and you find that people at Public Works don't want to change what they've been doing or that you know there's some hurdle along the way, it kind of falls by the wayside. So I'm, I'm glad you were able to persevere. It's not to say we haven't had our, our struggles. I mean, it's not... Um, there, there are definitely some challenges associated with changing the way people think about their relationship to infrastructure and what what it even is infrastructure, you know, and, and convincing our public works department, who has been uh, extremely helpful in, in many facets of this project, that plastic pipe is really what we're talking about here, and it's you know no more or less. Um, it's been it's been a challenge, but we've had we benefited from some of the work that's been done in Lincoln, Nebraska, and some of the um, some of the uh, efforts that they've that they've taken under David Young there has been a very good resource for us to try and understand how it can be done and done successfully. And I would just the final piece of that, Chris, on the city side is you know the financial model. Um, first of all, you have to have the will. The, the willpower to want to invest in this piece of infrastructure because you believe that there's a, a community benefit, there's a, a real community benefit to actually putting that pipe in the ground, uh, and then you have to come up with the money to do it. And so, come, you know, having a financial model that pays back, if you will, for the for that infrastructure improvement in some meaningful way has been another challenge for us uh, at this early stage of uh, the, of the city-owned conduit portion. And so we, we don't have it all figured out, but, but we are a long ways uh, from where we were when we, when we first started, as Anthony said, four years ago, to having a, a really robust um, a policy, but also commitment, which is, is almost just as difficult as, as policy itself. Well, when you talk about the financial model, let me just check in because um, now Bozeman Fiber, I believe, was financed largely with local loans from banks in the region, um, in the area. And and I think that's terrific. It's one, I want to see if we have any tips in a, in a couple of minutes for people that might want to try and do something similar. Um, but um, how is the, to the extent that there are charges associated with dig once or other city activities, um, how are those financed? Well, let me just be clear more about what I said a second ago, which is the financial model um, for for licensing the city-owned conduit to providers, uh, and so that that's the part that I was referring to when I said there, you know, we're trying to find the the, the sweet spot between the investment of the plastic pipe and the construction costs associated with that, with, with the return on on the on the for the fees to license that same conduit, whether that be Bozeman Fiber or any of a number of providers who may choose to license that that conduit for their own use. So that that's the model I was referring to. In terms of the Dig Once policy, there are some examples, particularly out of the Lincoln area, where where you can incentivize the construction of uh, of additional conduit. Simply, when when pipe is going in the ground, that another that another organization might be might be deploying, and and, and then paying the delta between the cost of the pipe and the uh, and the cost of construction, you can reduce your construction costs dramatically if you pull you know four conduits instead of two, for example. I guess I'm curious, Anthony. Do you have any tips for people who might be looking to try and unlock um, you know local financing from banks in the way that Bozeman Fiber has? Uh, certainly, I think you know. First and foremost, it doesn't happen without relationships, um, you know, and being able to communicate the value, uh, the community value, you know, not necessarily just the dollars and cents, but what it means to a school, to healthcare, and so on. 
um, and economic development, of course. Um, you know, and the second piece is understanding, you know, kind of the, the difference in focus between large national or international banking institutions and, and uh, local or regional banking institutions is that, uh, you know, these, these banks, the eight banks that came together for uh, Bozeman Fiber, um, have a vested interest in seeing the community grow. I mean, these are, uh, you know, over 60% of home loans are written by, you know, here in the region, as I understand it, are written by the eight banks um, that helped to back uh, Bozeman Fiber. And so if you look at their stake in it, um, people build businesses, they buy homes, they buy, you know, secondary homes. Um, they maybe open other businesses. The banks, of course, can directly benefit from taking a step back and deciding that, you know, what may otherwise be considered, especially if you couch it in a, in a venture capital sort of like, what may otherwise be considered to be a high-risk venture, um, you know, with, um, you know, potentially some uncertain outcomes. You know, there's a very few certainties in life, as we all know. Um, but rather, if they look at that as we're making this investment, you know, risk being what it is for community benefit, and then indirectly, of course, you know, from a commercial perspective, the banks will benefit if they continue to do the right things and keeping customers happy and being relevant in the community. And that was that that one piece, um, you know, that community benefit piece was absolutely key. Um, in the um, so if I call out, you know, leadership at, at First Interstate Bank and uh, some of the members of the Glacier Bank Corp that are represented here in Bozeman, when leadership of those organizations um, had that light bulb turn on, that was transformative. Um, you know, and I can very distinctly recall a, a conversation among uh, what are now the, the Bozeman Fiber uh, board members and expressing the fact that, you know, had an absolute willingness to, uh, to go tell the story, to go make this pitch uh, to some of the local banks, um, and at the same time expressing concern about uh, the ability to uh, tell a story that is probably not often told, certainly not a, the, the story's not been told uh, until we told it here. And walking out of that first meeting, you know, there was that awkward silence after we delivered the pitch and we kind of gave the talking points and bullet points. And um, the, the light bulb went off at that moment. And uh, from there, it was just, um, you know, nothing but the positivity of the, I think, the 12 local banks that we have, eight signed on. And I can tell you, we did not have to pitch all eight very hard. We pitched three directly. And from there, it was a groundswell. Uh, and you don't see competing banks come together in the way that these, these banks have. And so that in its own right has been amazing. I guess the, the point there, the nugget of, of wisdom is be able to understand you know, the, the, the focus of those local and regional banks, be able to communicate on their terms and equate what you may be trying to do with the community project to how it may directly or indirectly, um, you know, benefit those banks in the future. Uh, because certainly there's a lot of great PR um, that they get out of it. There's a lot of feel-good stuff, but at the same time, they're also, um, you know, planting seeds for future growth in a community that they're, they're directly invested in. Well, I hope that those words help others to, to duplicate that because, um, you know, I, with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, we care a lot about local businesses, local banking and that sort of thing. And um, and I, I think there's potential out there. So I hope others are able to unlock that same success. Um, yeah, I think my final question I'll ask to you first, Britt, and then I'll come back to you, Anthony, is just – if there's anything that's surprising to you in terms of where you are today, what the outcomes really have been, um, you know, that you might not have expected two or three years ago when you were working on this. I mean, I'm not surprised by how much effort it took. We knew this was going to be concerted, hard, roll up your sleeves, uh, everybody get it, pitch in kind of effort. So that, that wasn't part of it. But what, what, 
What was really surprising was the commitment by the board, and particularly Anthony. It's surprising in a way, not like, oh, you know, people are going to start to lose interest, but just at, at every step of the way, our board uh, has, been, has been there, uh, has been there to take the calls, has been there to have the meetings. And these are all professionals in our community who have other uh, responsibilities and have you know, other uh, demands on their time. And I was just really surprised how committed um, our, our team was to getting, to getting this taken done, and, uh, and, they, and they maintain that level of commitment today. Um, and I guess the, the, uh, the other surprise for me was, it, was the demand. How, how, I knew that there was demand out there. What has continues to surprise me is the level of interest that now the community is taking on, um, not just the business community, but, the, but others in the residential areas of our, of our town, uh, the, the demand that's out there. I mean, I knew that there was, that there was the level, enough demand to make this project pencil out. But, but I think there's even more than we had anticipated. And so, so those are the two things that, that I guess have surprised me the most, and both of them positive. Great. Anthony, what, what would you add to that? I would probably go back to the financing piece, um, having had pro- probably more than my fair share of uh, at-bats with um, venture capital pitches and things of that nature. Um, it was a positive, um, I could say surprise, but really a shock that mm-hmm. – we had the model as right as we did so early on that it was just um, very plain and obvious to the to the banking community that ultimately came together to fund us. And um, so that I thought, you know, had you asked me six months before that, um, you know, in, in privately or in a group setting, I would have said, well, funding would be our number one challenge. And in fact, that was arguably one of the easier things that we did. Um, along the way, so that was certainly a surprise. <laughs> well, let me just let me just pause for one second to let a few people um, unclench their teeth when they hear that, because <laughs> I think you know that's certainly not the experience for most people working in this area. But please continue. <laughs> uh, certainly not, and uh, not not typically not my experience outside uh, the not for profit space and uh, in the commercial arena. Um, I would say the other surprise. Um, as well, and it's, it's a happy surprise. And you know, having the challenges along the way that any large construction project, any large capital project will have. Um, you know, just um, I think any uh, even commercial providers run into permit issues or unexpected things when you're digging and so on. Um, but the willingness for anchor tenants and other community members to come together. So the other side of this, of course, you know, with the, the finance discussion is you have to have that business plan. You have to have that pro forma that says, hey, guys and girls in the banking community or in in the investment community, here's what we plan to go do, and here's how we plan to go do it. We had an entire audience worth of anchor tenants that, you know, collectively signed um, no less than 30 years worth of fiber contracts, um, you know, with, with, I I would say, relatively little effort. But, you know, again, I think it's a reflection that that relative – relatively low effort that went into winning those audiences over um, was really just a reflection of the value that Bozeman Fiber was trying to bring to its mission. And so that, for me, would have been the second largest hurdle had you asked me months before, you know, how do we get these anchor tenants on board and signed up so we can, you know, we can execute uh, the, the loan documents. And um, I think those two things um, being work, working out as well as they did were absolutely pivotal. But again, it comes back to that being able to art- articulate the mission and the value uh, as well as having the relationships um, you know, because of course there were, there were a number of trust me moments along the way. And I'm happy to say that, um, since then we've been able to meet and exceed, 
um, all the all the expectations that have been set. And so I think that definitely gives us uh, you know a good leg up for the future. Well, thank you both so much for taking the time to update us. And I, I have no doubt that we'll be coming back to you in the future to, to get some more lessons learned and check in on your progress. Well, thanks, Chris. And, and thank you as well, Chris. That was Britt Fontenot, Bozeman's Economic Development Director, and Anthony Kokenauer, President of Bozeman Fiber. As the project continues to progress, we'll be sure to share updates. Learn more at muninetworks.org. Just click on the Bozeman tag. Remember, we have transcripts for this and other Community Broadband Bits podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. You can also follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter where the handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and all of the podcasts in the ILSR podcast family on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Never miss out on our original research by also subscribing to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. We want to thank Admiral Bob for the song Turbo Tornado licensed through Creative Commons, and we also want to thank you for listening to episode 233 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Music